We have seen 35 chapters in the prophecy of Isaiah. And these prophecies have been leading up to this narrative that is contained now in Isaiah chapters 36 to 39. Isaiah has been prophesying, trust God. Will you put your faith in Him? Even against all the odds, even against all the difficulty that you are going to be facing, the warnings have been given of the disaster that is about to come. And now comes the moment of truth. As we come out of chapter 35, you might even notice in your Bibles, the text is written differently. We've left the prophecy section and now we're in a narrative. Here's how everything goes. And so now it's kind of the rubber meeting the road. What is Israel going to do? do now that Isaiah has laid the prophecies that God has said he will be with his people if they'll simply trust him. Chapter 36 of Isaiah in verse 1, you'll notice that how dire the situation is. Verse 1 says it is the 14th year of King Hezekiah. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. That's bad. Uh, Assyria has invaded and they have captured everything. There is one city standing and that is the city of Jerusalem. All the other important cities, all the fortified cities are now gone. You can imagine a nation coming against us and every single city in this nation being conquered. And the only thing left standing is Washington, D.C., the capital. That's all that's left. Everything else has been captured. And so here now comes that moment. And verse 2 tells us the king of Assyria sends one of his commanders with a great army to Jerusalem with a message. And so watch what happens here as this message now is cried out to them. Verse 4. And Rabshakeh, this is the commander that was sent by the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. And Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trusted him. But if you say, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Come now. Make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? For the Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. I want you to notice the challenge of faith that is now presented. Isaiah has been saying to the nation, you need to trust God through this. And now it comes to the breaking point. This Assyrian commander comes up and he asks the bold question. Why do you have faith? 
What is your trust built upon? And notice all the things that he gives to them as to why they should surrender to Assyria. He starts and says, you think Egypt's going to help you? They're not going to help you. They're like a broken reed that as soon as you lay on it, it's going to pierce your hand. You think you're going to rely upon them. They're no help whatsoever. You think that God is going to help you. And yet all of the altars have been torn down. We have come through and conquered everything. Why would you think that God is going to help you now? Verse eight is hilarious. We will give you 2000 horses if you can find 2000 men to ride them. You have no army to be able to repel us. And notice the final one. God told us to do this. God sent us to destroy you. Which I do not believe to be a lie. When we go back to chapter 10, that's exactly what God said. Back in chapter 10, Isaiah said, I've risen up Assyria to come and wail on you, to destroy you and conquer you. But remember, Isaiah's prophecy was Assyria has gone too far. That Assyria was to conquer and destroy, but they have gone too far, saying within themselves that it was by their mind and power, and so God was going to do something. But he's not probably lying here. He's probably right that God had told Sennacherib to do this, to take out the northern nation of Israel. And to move on and begin to conquer and destroy. And so the commander now is shouting out to the nation and shouting out to the people and saying, why do you think you're going to survive this? Why do you have faith? Where are you, are you putting your hope? Why are you trusting in God? And I submit to you that that really is the modern day challenge that every single Christian faces. What voice is tempting you to second guess God and his, your faith in him? What voice is calling to you and saying, why would you trust God? That's what this man is doing. He stands there with his armies and says, you think you're going to survive this? You think God is going to bail you out? Your faith is false. Your hope is unfounded. Your trust in your God does not make sense. We have you surrounded. We have destroyed everything. God has sent us and you don't have an army to defend yourself. And Egypt will not save you. Where is your trust? It is boundless. It is baseless. It is worthless. And I believe what we can point out is that there is the daily pressure, the daily pressure that each of us face to not take God at his word, to abandon our commitment to God, to no longer believe in his promises, that there is the voice that whispers to us that God will not help you, that God will not be your strength, that God will not be your resource. In fact, Your problem is your trust in God. I believe that is the powerful temptation that Satan over and over again, regularly, daily throws at us. Why are you trusting in God? In fact, your trust in God has caused your problems today. And that is what this Assyrian commander says. Why are you trusting God? Every day our faith is challenged. 
Every day our faith is tested. And I want us to consider that yesterday's faith is yesterday's. That it does not matter how strong you were in the Lord yesterday. Or last week, or last month, or last year. I do not care how strong you were then. Are you strong today? Because faith only counts today. And what you did yesterday is done. Too often we rely upon the past and then are swallowed up in the present. And do not understand that the challenge of faith was not conquered yesterday or last year or when you were baptized or when you believed in Jesus Christ. The challenge of faith is today. Today, will you continue to believe in the Word of God? Will you continue to trust in Him? And that is what is on the line at this very moment. Will the people believe? Will the King believe? Will they trust that God will deliver them even though every single city has been swallowed up and the city of Jerusalem is now surrounded and they do not have remotely an army to be able to defend themselves? He even mocks them and says, you can't even field 2,000 men out here to fight us. And so that is the challenge of faith. And I want us to consider that not only is our faith challenged on a daily basis, will we trust God or not, but Satan makes it difficult to trust God. Not only do you have to make that decision every day, Will you believe in His promises or not? Will you trust Him at His word? Will He be your deliverer? But God will have the the challenge, the test. Will it be easy to do it? It will not. How often that decision is difficult. Notice how that plays out here in our text. Verse 11 of Isaiah 36. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? <laughs> That's awesome. Another good blast. What he, the people are saying, these, these uh, administrators are saying, speak to us in Aramaic. And what that was at that time was the language of diplomacy. That was the language that was used at that day and time that you could speak the terms of agreement and war so that the rest of the city didn't know what was going on in the discussion. Now we know later on the Jews that it became their language. They, used, they would become to speak Aramaic as the common language. But not right then. So that's what they're saying is don't speak in the language we all understand. Let's take this to a different language so that we can speak about these things. And so what's the commander's response to that? No. I think everybody should hear what's going to happen when you all have to eat your own dung and drink your own urine. Now I'm going to tell everybody who's sitting on the wall so they can hear what I have to say. He is not going to make this easy. He's not going to just tell these administrators that the King Hezekiah has sent and say, okay, just discuss it with them. He wants to cause fear in all of Jerusalem. 
And so he shouts this out at the top of his lungs so that everybody can hear. Here's what's going to happen if you rebel against us and do not surrender. You are doomed. Your life is going to be wrecked. Verse 13, Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat his own vine, eat from his own vine and drink and each one of his own fig tree. Each one will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away into the land like your own land. A land of grain and wine, a land of bread and of vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods Excuse me, any of the gods of the nation delivered his land delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Oh, you have to love that. So he shouts it out. He screams it out. And he says to them, Do not listen to Hezekiah. Do not listen to anything that he has to say. I want us to see that the faith-filled decision is never the easy path. The decision to trust God in the face of all difficulties, all odds, all suffering is never the simple choice. Listen to what he is saying. He is telling them your faith is false. This is the temptation. Don't go the hard path. It's not going to work out for you. Take the easy path. Listen to what I'm trying to give you. I'm giving you the easy way out. Don't trust in God. Don't listen to Hezekiah saying that God is going to deliver you. It's not going to happen. And then listen to the promise that he gives them in verse 16 and 17. Notice the language there of, hey, you'll eat from your own vine and your own fig tree. Does that ring a bell to some of you sitting under vines and fig trees? That is language that Solomon was promised. That when in the zenith of Israel's day that each man sat under his own vine and under his own fig tree, it was a statement of prosperity and blessing. What he is promising, he's saying, surrender and we will not make your life difficult. We will give you the prosperity that you want. We will give you the food that you need. We will give you the water that you desire until we come and take you off the land. And when we take you off the land, it's going to be a land that's just like your land and you are going to be fine. But if you do not surrender, you are doomed. You will drink your own urine and you will eat your own dung. There's your choice. And he shouts it out to him. Surrender. And do not trust in the Lord, and you will have prosperity. It will go well for you. But if you trust in your God, you will be made to suffer, is what the commander is calling out. The challenge of faith is a difficult decision. It is never obvious to just simply go, oh, I know it's going to be the easy thing to do. I will just trust in God. It'll be easy. 
It never works like that. Satan makes the challenge great, puts the question in front of us. Will you trust God? Will you believe in him? Especially when it looks like that there is prosperity, that there is hope, that there is deliverance, that there are blessings. If we will not trust in God, but instead what happens is we are tempted to not believe that God will deliver, to not believe that God will provide. And instead, we want to go our own way. Remember, that is what Isaiah has been cautioning over and over again in this prophecy. Don't turn to Egypt. Don't rely on your own strength. If you will trust in the Lord, he will deliver you. He will save this city. And so chapter 36 ends with the big question. What is Hezekiah going to do? What decision is he going to make? What is the city going to do? Because the challenge of faith has been laid And the road to believing in God and trusting in God is extremely difficult. What will they do? And that's where chapter 37 now picks up. The message, these messengers now take what the commander of the Assyrian army has cried out. Chapter 37 and verse 1. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. Hezekiah's response and the response of true faith is to turn to God. And I want you to see that Hezekiah does this in humility and in mourning. This is the king of Judah. He tears his clothes and goes in sackcloth. This is the universal near ancient Near Eastern way of declaring humility and mourning. And so the king sheds the royal robes, puts away the royal garments, and gets the sackcloth out. And so he is showing his humility. And notice where he goes. Verse 1 tells us he goes to the temple of the Lord. Now, where did he get that idea? If you remember our study out of 1 Kings, you'll know where he got that idea. That's exactly what Solomon said to do in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8, in that long dedication, Solomon says, When we turn away from you, may we turn our hearts back to the temple, that we will turn our eyes to the temple and we will pray to the temple. And God who is in heaven... He will restore us. He will deliver us and save us. A whole chapter on that. That's just one excerpt out of a whole chapter where he keeps saying that. That if we sin and therefore all these blessings are taken away and there is no rain on the land. If the people will turn their heart back to the temple, then God in heaven will save and bless. So what's Hezekiah doing? That very thing. Hezekiah is turning to the Lord in humility. He is doing exactly what Solomon said needed to be done in times like this. Turn your heart back to God. True faith turns back to God. And now listen to what he says. Verse 3. 
Let's go back to verse 2. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and the senior priest covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom the master of king of Assyria sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. I want you to notice what the message of Hezekiah is to Isaiah. It is a confession of failure. It is a powerful confession of failure. Notice that he says there in verse 3, this is a day of distress. Yes, it is. But notice what he ties with that. It's a day of rebuke and disgrace. He understands what this means. He understands we have failed. And verse verse 3 really clarifies that children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to bring them forth. Our attempts of deliverance have not brought the intended result. And we have been a disgrace to the name of God. And this is a day of rebuke to us. For not putting our trust in God. For not upholding the ways of God. And that's what verse 4 goes on to say. Is that this guy, this Rabshakeh, he's come and has sent, been sent to mock the living God. I want us to recognize when we make decisions like they made. Decisions that are selfish decisions, that are not full of faith. That do not trust in the living God. The result of that is the mocking of the living God. That ties in tightly to this morning's lesson. When we do not put our faith in God, we are not displaying the wisdom of God. We are ashamed to the wisdom of God. And that is declared right here as Hezekiah calls it out to Isaiah. We have brought about a day of rebuke and we have brought this this mocking. And this mocking is not of us. This mocking is of the Lord. When we rely upon ourselves, we bring disaster upon ourselves. When we rely upon ourselves, we wreck the glory of God that should be proclaimed because we are not showing our faith in Him. We're acting like He's some small idol in the corner who cannot save, who cannot deliver. And so He declares it quite carefully in verse 4 that our strength is insufficient. And it is a call for us to be ready and willing to confess our insufficiency and our weaknesses to God. That true faith must turn to God. And I want us to just for a moment consider the reality of that. God has not called us to pretend that we are strong. God has not called us to act like we are something that we are not. And I think I can prove it pretty easily. Why does God command us to confess our sins to Him? Why does God 
command us to confess our sins to him? Is it that he doesn't know what we've done and he needs to be filled in on a daily basis of what's happening just to make sure everything's on the up and up? Why do we have to confess our sins to him? He knows what we've done. This is the reason why. Because we are to admit our weaknesses to God and to stop pretending that we're strong. To stop pretending that it's by our own might and by our own strength that we walk in this life. Confessing our sins reminds us that we are relying upon the power of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And not relying upon our strength and our own might. And so often I think that's what we do. What other purpose is there in confession except to humble ourselves before God? Why in the world would God want that? Except that we would humble ourselves. That we would knock ourselves down and recognize where we stand. True faith confesses our sins. True faith confesses weaknesses, faults, errors, difficulties. True faith does not pretend to be strong. True faith does what Hezekiah does. In humility, going to God and asking for God's deliverance. He turns his heart to the temple. He goes to the temple and admits this is a day of disgrace and rebuke. We have brought this upon ourselves. We are deserving of this disaster. And that's what I love. Verse four, he says to Isaiah, Isaiah, pray to to the Lord for us, because you know what our only hope is? He says our only hope is that this guy who's mocking the living God outside the walls, God will want to do something about that for his own name. It's not because of us. We are a disgrace. Our strength has brought nothing. But he is an arrogant man who is disgracing and discrediting the name of God and mocking God. That God would do something because of that. And so that's the message he gives to Isaiah. So verse 6, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which these young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. I want you to hear that's words of hope. Isaiah says, okay. It's going to be fine. God is going to act. Here's what's going to happen. God is going to put a rumor in the king's mind and he's going to go away. And you think, okay, that's going to be comforting. But we're talking about the difficulty of faith. The challenge of faith against all odds. And notice how it's not easy. Verse 8. Then Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lashish. Now the king heard concerning Tirekha, king of Cush, and he said he has set out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah. Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And you 
shall be delivered? Have not the gods of the nations delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed Gozan, Haran, Resbun, the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Seraphim, the king of Hena, or the king of Ivah? He says, you think God's going to save you? Your God will not save you because none of these other gods have saved any of these other cities. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Notice the message is not, okay, hey, trust God. And everybody goes, okay, we'll trust God. No, you hear the message, trust God, and then what immediately happens? You are pressed again with the difficulty not to trust God. The circumstance continues to press you and tempt you. You can't trust God. It's too much. It won't happen. God will not deliver you. So this guy will not stop yakking, will he? On and on that voice cries out, don't trust God. He will not save. He will not help. He will not deliver. True faith turns to God even in the face of difficulty. And now we ask the question one more time, what is Hezekiah going to do? Isaiah has said one more time, trust God. The commander says, you're toast if you do. What will Hezekiah do? Verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and all their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God. Save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Second thing, true faith turns to God, true faith prays. When faced with the challenge of faith, and when the difficulty of faith comes, and you are tempted not to trust in God, The response that must occur is prayer. And Hezekiah does it. And notice what Hezekiah says in that prayer. There's nobody that can save us but you. There is no idol that is true. There is no other God. You alone are able to save us. And I want us to notice what he prays. I think this is really important. He doesn't just simply say, Lord, save us. And so there's the message tonight. Anytime you're in trouble, pray, Lord, save us. There you go. No, it's really not the message. What was the basis that he prays for God to act? Look at it there in verse 20. I want you to save us from his hand. Why? 
so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. What we talked about this morning? So the glory of God and the wisdom of God will be put on display. That's what Hezekiah prays. Don't just save us. But Lord, save us in this moment so that everybody will know that you alone are the true God, that there is no other. He prays on the basis of the glory of God. It's not just simply selfish, save us. But God, if you do this, imagine how the glory and wisdom of God will be proclaimed because we cannot win this battle. And I want us to see that that is, I think, the message that Isaiah has been trying to get across all along. When all hope is lost by everything that we can see, that it looks like there is no hope at all. And every calculation you make says this is not going to work. We cannot survive this. It is not going to get through. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know how I'm going to get through. Trust God and pray for His intervention on the basis of His glory. Lord, do something great so that the world will know You did something great and praise You for it. Not just simply, Lord, I need help. You know, I'm uncomfortable right now. So, you know, give me a pacifier and some candy so I can feel good about myself because I want to be comfortable. It's not about that. It's about everybody knowing and seeing the glory of God. That's the basis of what Hezekiah prays. Do something great at this moment, God, so that people will be able to see your glory and see how great you are. I want us to consider that is what we see in the first century over and over again. When Peter and John are arrested and then released and they go back and they speak of these things to the congregation there, the Christians in Jerusalem. You remember what they're praying about? Look down on their threats. You see what they're saying against us. We're your servants. Lord, give us boldness to proclaim you, proclaim your glory, proclaim your message so we can go and confidently declare all this about the Christ who has died. That's what they come together and say. What does James say to do when he writes his letter? If any of you are suffering, what should you do? Jump out the window? No. Huddle up in a dark corner? No. Right. Anyone is distressed, facing trial head on, crushed beyond all difficulty. James says, pray. We see it over and over again in Scripture. The response of true faith is turning to God in prayer. We must engage in regular discussions with the Lord, we must desire prayer. And I think there are many ways to do that. I want to give you just two ways, at least, to consider some practical thoughts of how we can increase our desire for prayer. One, we have to see our complete dependence upon God. Sometimes we need to be brought into moments like Hezekiah is brought to. 
You have to come to that moment where you say, all of my efforts can't fix it. I've done everything that I can do. And that will not deliver me from this problem. I think almost every trial presents that confrontation. Every difficulty, every grave thing that you face. We try to solve it. Can't be solved. And we need that humility so that we will go to God and say, I can't fix this. There's nothing I can do about that. Our daughter Grace has been a great teaching tool for us about that. Nothing that can be done. Nothing we can do. Nothing doctors can do. There's no avenue. So when you turn to God and say, God, do something, or will you continue to try to accomplish things by your own strength? We can increase our desire for prayer when we recognize we cannot carry ourselves through. Number two, to observe the success of prayer. How many times do you believe that God has answered your prayer? How many times have we prayed and God has acted because we prayed to him? I have the tendency to believe that God has answered our prayers far more often than we realize. Because I believe most of the things that we truly need cannot be observed. We think we need a certain outcome. And sometimes we don't always see that particular outcome. But do we consider and observe that God is most certainly hearing our prayers and working? That's what I, one of the messages I loved about last week's lesson in Isaiah. What did Isaiah say? If you will turn to me, God will listen. If you will turn, God will hear you. God will listen. Your prayer is not empty. God hears your prayer and God will act. In fact, notice verse 21, how this is made out. Verse 21, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Now underline this. Because you have prayed to me. That's it right there. Hezekiah, here is the message to you. Because you have prayed to me, I am going to act. And I want you to consider, we're we're short on time, so I'll kind of just sum up what he says is going to happen. But the response that is given is simply unimaginable. Verse 22, the message is, Zion is going to mock Sennacherib. You're being mocked now by Assyria. The tables are going to be reversed. Talk about something you would not believe. They have conquered every fortified city. All that stands left is Jerusalem. And God says, here's what's going to happen. You all are going to mock them. You are going to mock Sennacherib. 
What a staggering declaration. Listen to what else is going to happen. Verse 26, God says, I determined this all from the very beginning. I had set these plans long ago. You think you're going somewhere that God has not foreseen is going to happen? I am accomplishing these things. I am the one that is sent to Syria and I am the one that can say stop. God is in control. God is certainly on the throne and he can certainly respond. Verse 29, God says Assyria is going to go into captivity. Look at verse 33. This is the greatest summary of all. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Israel, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way he came, by the same he shall return. He shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake. And for the sake of my servant, David, God says, because you've prayed, I am going to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could possibly ask or think can be accomplished at this moment. He says, I'm going to go way beyond. You think you're going to have deliverance? Watch this. They're not going to come into the city. They're not going to shoot an arrow. They're not going to lift a shield. They're going to go back the way they came. You're going to make fun of them and they're going to get sent off into captivity. How's that for an answer to that prayer? Lord, save us for your great name. I will. Why was the battle going to be won? And how was the battle going to be won? I want us to observe the power of of confession and prayer here. Their necessity was not, let's get the chariots, let's get the army, and let's get Egypt, and let's go win. All they needed to do was confess their sins and pray to God to act. And listen to what happens. Verse 36, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people rose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. I love that. Jerusalem inhabitants wake up, look over the wall, and what do they see? 185,000 dead bodies. What have they done? Nothing but prayed. They did nothing but prayed. And God acted. Verse 37, Then Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. Verse 38 says he gets killed in Nineveh. We need to pray for God to act for His own name and for His own glory. Pray to God to act in your life for His own glory. For his own purposes, so that through our lives, people can see how glorious God is. Our faith in God is going to be challenged. It is going to be difficult to maintain your deep faith in the Lord through suffering and difficulty and trial. When your faith struggles, confess that struggle to God. Do not pretend to be strong. Admit weakness. Go to God in humility. Confess your difficulty. Cry out to the Lord. Help my unbelief. 
Increase my faith. And then pray to God to act in your life for His purposes, for His plan and His glory. And may we then become faithful instruments in the hand of a gracious God that God will save, that God will carry you through, and that God will deliver you. Will you trust in God in the darkest of times? Will you have faith against all odds? True faith turns first to God and prays to God to act. And it will not be an easy decision. It will be a decision that can sometimes be very costly. A decision that may seem illogical. It seems that it is the wrong way to go by all human calculation. This looked like a really bad idea. To believe that God would do something at this moment. To not surrender and be taken peacefully. God has the power to act. God has the power to deliver. And I hope that you've seen that in your life already, how God can deliver you through trial and difficulty and continue to put your faith in God to carry you through until we are home to be with God. You pull yourself a book out or sing of